What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kevin Valentin. And I'm the other host of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabro. Kevin, finally back. Been a long time, we, but we, we back. back. We are Let's back. Start. Feels good. Feels good. How was vacation? Bro, it was awesome. Uh, spent a couple days in Yellowstone. Uh, went up to Glacier National Park up in Montana. It's almost near the Canadian border. Dude, Glacier was Glacier was a shit as far as I see it. Don't get me wrong. Yellowstone was awesome, but Glacier was really one notch above Yellowstone. It was really just a well-rounded trip. Just uh, It's kind of crazy coming back. Had a three-hour delay in Salt Lake. Didn't get back to Tampa like 8 o'clock in the morning. We were, I was supposed to leave at like 11.45 at night for a red eye. We didn't leave till like 2.30 in the morning. But nonetheless, we were able to get back. And ever since, we've been good to go. So just glad to be back. Bro, we got some topics to go over today. So I'll let you have the floor, bro. Appreciate it, man. A lot has happened since the last time we recorded. Obviously, the NBA Finals has come to a conclusion. First, I want to start this off with congratulations to the Denver Nuggets for winning their first title in franchise history and to Nikola Jokic for his Finals MVP award that he almost lost, which is hysterical, but again, just shows to the character of Nikola not caring about little things like that. So bottom line, he got back to, I think, race or watch his horses race yesterday in Serbia, if I'm not mistaken. So his timeline ended up working out with the whole parade thing, but again... Kudos to the Nuggets. But other than that, we wanted to talk about the news that uh, came about yesterday in the NBA. Bradley Beal has been traded to the Phoenix Suns. Things are still getting ironed out. The official details, I believe the physical and all of that things, all of those things have to get ironed out. But as of right now, Bradley Beal is a son. Chris Paul and Landry Shamit, along with multiple second round picks, as well as future pick swaps, are headed over to the uh, Washington Wizards. We'll talk about that, the nature of the trade, kind of everything that comes around it, what happens with Chris Paul and things of that nature. Uh, and again, we will talk a little bit about the Denver Nuggets winning against the Miami Heat in the NBA Finals in five games. So we'll kind of just mention that in passing and what we thought about the series as a whole. Then we're going to talk about some more NBA free agency news, rumor mills and circulating all about Damian Lillard's potential arrival in Miami. Uh, Miami was also in the mix to acquire Bradley Beal, but a multitude of different beat writers and reporters said that they preferred to have Damian Lillard as, as opposed to Bradley Beal. I don't understand why that is. But again, those are the rumors right now. We'll talk about the mix and pretty much the latter of what would happen if Miami were to acquire someone like Damian Lillard and where he would put this team as opposed to where they were this season. And then we'll close with John Morant. His suspension finally came through. Kyle and I both thought, along with plenty of other people, that it would at least be about half the year. He only got 25 games. Safe to say, Kyle and I are not happy with it. We believe it should have been more. And we will go into detail about that and our opinions on what we believe should have happened with the NBA. So let's just dive into the episode, man. Kyle and I are itching to get to it. So Let's just start right off the bat. I'll Bradley Beal. Oh, I'll okay, okay, one. okay. Swing it. I got you on this one, bro. So, uh, like Kev said at the top, uh, first things first, we're going to go over this Bradley Beal trade. It was a huge trade that, that took place over the weekend. The Washington Wizards send Bradley Beal to the Phoenix Suns, where he will join forces with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. It, essentially, it's a three-headed trio in Phoenix. It's going to be another super team once again in Phoenix. Uh, there's just been a couple shifting pieces with Chris Paul going to Washington. So overall, Phoenix is just on paper really stacked as far as I see it with Dev, uh, Kevin Booker, Kevin Booker. Wow. Uh, Kevin Durant. You could tell it's been it's been two weeks. I'm shaking off some of the rust. So all no, good. I, I might make a couple hiccups here and there. But uh, no, he would join forces with Devin Booker, Kevin Durant. It's quite a three headed trio, but 
as we've seen over the last couple of years, just because that you have a super team on your roster doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're going straight to the finals, let alone win an NBA finals. So there will be plenty of storylines surrounding Phoenix this offseason. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some more moves that Phoenix makes over the next couple of weeks. I know DeAndre Ayton's name has been mentioned in trade rumors over the last couple of months. So we have plenty of time to see how things will work out when it comes to Phoenix's roster before the season starts. But nonetheless, you add somebody like Bradley Beal to the roster. He's a great A shooter. You know, spent a lot of time in Washington. Wasn't really able to make much of his career there as far as pursuing a championship. But now he gets a good chance to switch conferences to potentially pursue an NBA championship. So Kev, to get this one to you, what are your overall thoughts about Bradley Beal being traded to the Phoenix Suns? Initially, I was kind of confused. I don't really understand it, to be honest with you, just because, once again, we're talking about another ball-dominant player who has been the focal piece of the Washington Wizards organization for some time now. I mean, outside of Kristaps Porzingis and John Wall stint there, uh, Bradley Beal has been the leading scorer. He has been the bucket getter. He has been one of the better defenders on the team. So for him to now not only play second fiddle, but potentially third fiddle, I don't know how that's going to work. You have three scores, three people that have, need to have the ball in their hand in Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. And if DeAndre Ayton stays on this team, he is going to need his fair share of touches as well. But again, like Kyle said, he's been linked to some rumors potentially to get rid of some of the cap and bring in some role players. Because as of right now, between those four players in Ayton, Booker, Durant, and now Beal, their cap salary is, I think their salary cap hit is $162 million just between those four players. So it's quite a bit of money. We'll see what happens, how they work it around. But to go back to the Bradley Beal topic, I'm just, I'm a little perplexed. There is some internal rumblings around rumor mills. And again, just people that think that this is a little too convenient. Again, Bradley Beal had a number of teams that he was looking to waive his no trade clause for, as he is the only player remaining in the NBA that had that. And the teams that were speculating were the Sacramento Kings, Milwaukee Bucks, Miami Heat, and this, uh, the Phoenix Suns. He ends up going to the Suns, but not because of, I guess, merit. I would probably say there's a little bit of funny business here. His agent is the son of the CEO of the Phoenix Suns. There's a direct correlation, a personal relationship, obviously family ties. I'm not saying that there's a conspiracy here, but I mean, they made it happen. The trade was a little less than what people would have assumed for Bradley Beal's talents. I mean, realistically... The Wizards got more of a haul for Russell Westbrook than they did for Bradley Beal. And not to say that Russell Westbrook's a bad player, but when you talk about the significance and caliber, Bradley Beal is better than Russell Westbrook for a number of different reasons. Yes, Russell was a triple-double machine. Yes, Russ got them to the playoffs with Bradley Beal. But for all the things that Washington acquired for him, to me, it's just a little bit weird that Bradley Beal ended up just going to Phoenix for a 38-year-old Chris Paul Landry Shamit, second round picks and pick swaps. But Brian Windhorst had stated earlier this week, if not, or excuse me, earlier last week, that no matter what the deal may be for Bradley, don't be surprised if it is kind of small because apparently Bradley's big Supermax contract that he had signed last season does not kick into effect until next year. So he's not going to be that big hit of 50 plus million dollars a year until next season, which gives Phoenix time to either offload that contract to someone else if this year doesn't work and or if they were to kind of restructure some people's contracts to make it work and salary cap friendly. We'll see what happens, but people are assuming right off the bat because you have three superstars that makes you a finals contender, that makes you a champion 
We've seen it time and time again. Big threes have failed. LeBron, D. Wade, and Bosch failed in the first time of the first year of their championship run. They also lost to the Spurs. Oklahoma City didn't have necessarily a big three, but you know, prime Harden, prime KD, and Russell Westbrook weren't able to get it done. Then you go and you do KD, Kyrie, and Harden. That doesn't pan out. Then you do KD, Booker, Aiton, and Chris Paul. That doesn't pan out. So I don't necessarily know what's going to come of it. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like this is going to be the uh, end-all, be-all. They're going to 100% win the championship. We saw last year that they struggled off the bench. They had no depth. They had no scoring outside of Booker and KD. Yes, Bradley Beal's a third option, but if those three options are colder, they're debating on who's going to get the ball. You're going to need some help. You're going to need people to fill those roster seats. I mean, again, $162 million as of right now between those four players. So there's room for error. There's room for improvement. We'll see what happens in Phoenix. I mean, for Bradley Beal, congratulations. You get what you wanted. But again, there's just a little bit of suspect, in my opinion, as to how he got to Phoenix. Yeah, and I will say when it comes from, I guess, the conflict of interest part of where you're talking between the Sun CEO and Bradley Beal's agents being family members, uh, that's definitely a point of contention as far as I see it. I don't think that the NBA is actually going to go out of their way to be able to rescind the trade, even though that we have seen them do it once in the past with the Chris Paul trade going to L.A., going to the Lakers. Uh, that one didn't go through. I think you got to actually make somewhat of a decent point. It's like, hey, it's like this is a pretty low-end trade package for somebody of this magnitude. And I wouldn't be surprised if teams are looking around the league saying, hey, like this I don't think really matches what Bradley Beal's value is but nonetheless the trade did go through it and unless the nba really steps out of their way to rescind this trade bradley beal is going to be a phoenix sun going into next year but as i see it right now when it comes to the suns just because that bradley beal is now a member of the phoenix suns there's no guarantee that they're just going to instantly walk to the finals and we've seen many teams try to assemble these super teams where you have two to three superstars and you're starting five and a lot of times it's actually ended in failure to the point where they're not even getting to the conference finals in whether it's the Western conference or the Eastern conference. We just saw a couple years of KD being in Brooklyn where he joined forces with James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and they never made an NBA finals within that three headed trio. And even though that you have some really good shooters in Phoenix right now with Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, and now Bradley Beal, don't get me wrong, they're going to shoot the lights out. They're going to be able to score pretty effectively. But when you look at what they're going to present defensively, this is where I really see this team falling short just because, you know, granted these guys could score at will, but I wouldn't really say that any of these guys that I just mentioned with Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, and Kevin Durant are elite defenders. KD's really the only one that's going to be able to defend the rim because they'll basically split KD and DeAndre Ayton. And that's assuming that DeAndre Ayton is going to be a member of the Phoenix Suns going into next year, which there's no guarantee of that happening. So defensively, I think they're going to struggle if they keep the roster as is. More than likely, that will not be the case because I would assume that Phoenix is going to make a series of moves over the next couple of weeks before the season starts to bolster this roster because like I said defensively I think they will struggle but offensively their depth could be a question here because their starting five is legit as far as I see it they got Aiton, KD, Bradley Beal, and Booker I mean your starting five is gonna be fine but after that you got campaign Terrence Ross and Torrey Craig is that gonna be enough 
to be able to carry the Phoenix Suns past a Western Conference Finals going into a potential NBA Finals situation. I don't see that happening. So my expectation is that, you know, they made the move for Bradley Beal. I wouldn't be surprised if they try to offload DeAndre Ayton to kind of help out their cap situation because like Kev said, their payroll with just those four players in particular is extremely high. So I would imagine that Phoenix is going to be in a situation where they're, they're going to have to adjust some contracts, try to alleviate some of the cap issues so that they could be able to bring in some decent role players to bolster not the starting five, but your bench five or just your bench rotation as a whole to give them a better look as a well-rounded team going into next year. Overall, to me, I don't think that this trade really moves the needle in a positive or negative direction for Phoenix. I think they kind of stay in the same position that they've been in. Uh, they're still a contender in the Western Conference as far as I see it. I'm not going to sit here and say that they're an instant NBA Finals contender because they made this move. But overall, Bradley Beal, I think, has a better opportunity to be able to pursue an NBA championship as a member of the Phoenix Suns compared to what he was as a member of the Washington Wizards. I think that's really the only positive takeaway that I could take from this trade here for Bradley Beal. But overall, it's like I said, I think there's going to be a series of moves that Phoenix is going to make over the next couple of weeks. And I think that is going to determine what this team is really going to look like once the season starts coming around in October. Like anything else, I mean, I'm curious to see what happens. I want to know how they mesh. They're going to have a full off season. They're going to have full mini camps and preseason and stuff like that to kind of get it together. It's not going to be the late acquisition like Kevin Durant had to mesh with Devin and, and, and CP3 right before the playoffs. And then, of course, Kevin ended up getting hurt. But Bradley Beal brings a different kind of player to this team because he can play both ways, because Bradley Beal can shoot. Uh, not to say that Kevin Durant and Devin Booker cannot, but it's different when you have someone that is going to make the defense collapse like a KD, like a Booker, and kick out. Bradley Beal is known to be a pretty solid spot-up shooter. So when you talk about what Bradley brings, his 3 and D, his ability to get to the rim, finish with contact, his ability to finish at the free throw line in general, again, it adds a different layer of offense to this already deadly offensive threat that is the Suns, but as we've repeated a several times, when you bring in somebody of this caliber and the cap that he brings with it, what else are you going to do off that bench if someone's injured, if someone's having an off night, if someone's in foul trouble? You're going to put it on Devin Booker and KD who just choked in an elimination game in, what, game six of the Western Conference semis? Devin Booker has choked the last three elimination games that he's played in his career. You know what I mean? Like, he's not exactly known to be a finisher. He's not known to be someone that's going to dig you out of a hole. Will Bradley Beal help that cause? Yes. But now you're not only starting over with a new roster, you have a new head coach. Frank Vogel is a defensive-minded head coach. Is he going to be able to do a lot with a little? I mean, look at his history. In Indiana, he had Roy Hibbert. He had Paul George. He had multiple defensive stars, two-way stars. In L.A., you had Anthony Davis, LeBron James. You had a number of defensive role players like a Dwight Howard, a JaVale McGee, um, a, a KCP. There are factors that make coaches what they are. And I don't think Phoenix presents that because of the limited depth that they have. And if they do end up trading Aiton, what are you going to get in return? So there are a lot of moving pieces here. Phoenix is set up right now to be contenders. Absolutely, you'd be a fool not to say they can at least get to the Western Conference semis at a minimum. I mean, they did it this year with little. 
now they added more with with uh, with Beal. We'll see what happens. But I mean, at the end of the day, hey, uh, there's no guarantee just because you build a super team that that automatically makes you an NBA champion. So we'll see what happens as the uh, as the offseason progresses and what Phoenix does. But kudos to Phoenix for finding a way to get it done. Yeah, even if there's a little bit of shady business there, just because of the family yeah. connection there. I mean, look, I mean, Washington didn't have to agree to that trade. Exactly. So they ended up pulling the trigger on it regardless. I mean, we just talked about there were multiple teams in pursuing Bradley Beal. They didn't have to agree to that trade, but I don't know. Maybe for Bradley, Bradley also Beal's had to give the final say because he had the no trade clause. So at the end of the day, Bradley's like, no, no, no. I would have just kept him. I'm not taking second round picks and pick swaps for someone I know I can get multiple firsts for. Yeah, it, it just to me, I think that Washington could have found a better trade package. But I think at the end of the day, I think there may have been discussions behind the scenes where maybe Bradley Beal's agent was just in a situation where it's like, all right, you know, we have this connection in Phoenix. Maybe we make it happen via Phoenix. And honestly, you know, maybe Bradley just wasn't really focused in on some of those other suitors. Maybe. maybe. I mean, all of them are contenders, let's be honest. I mean, Sacramento's up and coming, so they they don't have the most experience, so maybe not there. Milwaukee, you have Giannis, you have Chris Middleton. I feel like Middleton would have been in that package somewhere, but I feel like at the same time, Washington wouldn't want another injury-prone player because Chris Middleton, let's, let's face it, as good as he has been, he's also been frequently injured. And you go to Miami... You got Jimmy, you got Bam, you got a couple of other players, you got the coach. Maybe he didn't want that. Maybe he just wanted his own. I don't know. Again, it's just, it's yeah, a weird it's just, situation. It's it just, you know, on a surface level, there, there seems to be a conflict of interest with that family connection. But Washington still agreed to the trade. So, you know, if anything, maybe this is a bad look on Washington's front office for actually agreeing to that trade because they didn't get really anything of what I would say considerable value in return. Maybe you could flip some of the pick swaps down the road because if Phoenix falters over the next couple of years, maybe that could happen. But I mean, anything in the foreseeable future that's really going to make Washington better? No, I don't see anything from this trade. I think Chris Paul is on the edge of retirement anyway. So well, he's about to get uh, either traded or bought out because there's speculation that he's been attached to. Uh, oh, LA. What is it? Uh, the Clippers both LAs. For... The Clippers and the Lakers want him. So we'll see what happens in that regard also. But. We do have to mention, again, we know the NBA Finals ended last week, but with Kyle being on vacation, I've been a little preoccupied with some things going on in my life. We haven't been able to put out any content, so we're not going to get into a deep dive. We're just going to mention it in passing. So, Kyle, I know I had given my kudos, but you know, if you were able to see any of the games and the highlights, whatever you were able to succumb to based on what you had available to you, I want to get your thoughts, man. What did you think about Denver and how they went about uh, solidifying their... their uh, their history as NBA champions for the first time. Well, I mean, just to start from the top, you have to give a huge amount of kudos to the Denver Nuggets for being able to win their first NBA Finals champions uh, championship. You know, and obviously, when you talk about the team as a whole, this team has been led by Nikola Jokic, Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. And honestly, you could say that their playoff run this year was pretty impressive. I mean, granted... I wouldn't say that they went up against the fiercest competition, but nonetheless, you have to play against the teams that you're matched up against and pretty much consistently throughout their playoff run. I, there was never really a point where I thought that they were in really dire straits. Um, you know, looking back at the Western Conference Finals, they were able to effectively sweep the Lakers in four games. And then going up against the Miami Heat, 
granted the Miami Heat had had the Cinderella story where they're the number eight seeded team in the Eastern Conference of the first team uh, in that eight seed to represent the Eastern Conference in the NBA Finals since the Knicks in the late 90s. And even though that the Heat gave a valiant effort in that series, it's just the Nuggets were too good from every aspect, whether it was shooting, defensive side of things. It just definitely looked like Denver was a team that just could not be beat consistently enough to knock them out of the playoffs. You know, obviously, it is well-deserved that Nikola Jokic won his NBA Finals MVP. I wouldn't be surprised uh, that over the next couple years uh, that Jokic continues to reign supreme, not only when it comes to the Western Conference, but really the NBA as a whole. I think, I think at this point, it's pretty safe to say that Nikola Jokic is probably the best player in the NBA. Uh, granted, I know that he's not the most flashiest player. He's not somebody that really is going to say anything that really kind of gets his name in the headlines. Uh, th this dude went to Serbia after celebrating at the NBA championship in Denver by going back to Serbia, watching horse races, you know, a week after he won the NBA finals. So he, I think when it comes to him, he's just going to do his thing. And, you know, going back home to Serbia, he'll be able to rest throughout the summer and then head back to Denver for this upcoming season. But Kevin, I'm going to be honest with you. When I look back at this final series, uh, between the Nuggets and the Heat, this didn't really seem to be that much of an exciting series from just an overall perspective. You could look at each individual game and you can make a point here or there about certain games that kind of lived up to expectations. I would say that game two matchup in Denver was a really good one. That was a competitive one where Miami was able to steal one on the road in Denver. But even looking back at games three and four, those games took place in Miami. Denver effectively won those games pretty handily. They won each game by over 10 points. And I think looking back at this series, obviously you have to give a lot of credit for Denver just being able to weather the storm against Miami in certain elements or certain times of the game. But when I look back at the series, I, just from a Miami perspective, Jimmy struggled. Jimmy struggled significantly throughout this series. And looking back at that game five performance, Kev, he only had three points going into the fourth quarter. Now, granted, he made up for it by blowing up in the fourth quarter and really making a name for him, himself. But there were just too many times where I thought that Jimmy was taking ill-advised shots. I thought he was too passive at times. Now, you can make a point that Denver was playing pretty solid defense. They were essentially playing this wall sort of defense where they were limiting his access to get to the rim, and he had no choice but to kick it out. But Jimmy has made a living off of these mid-range jumpers that he has shown time and time again to knock down consistently. I just thought that he was looking to pass too often in that series. And you can kind of make a point that he had been doing that over the last couple of series in Miami's playoff run. And I think he was relying too much on his teammates. I think there were times when maybe he should have taken some mid range jumpers if he got the space for it. And look, if you get a good kick out where you have Duncan Robinson or you have Gabe Vincent or you have Caleb Martin out on the wing, then you have to make that play. But overall, I, I would say that, you know, Miami maximized the potential of this roster for what they had. Obviously, you know, not having Tyler Hero hurt in this series, there was a potential that he could have came back in the NBA Finals. He was actually active in Game 5 for the Miami Heat, but didn't end up getting any playing time. I don't know if his presence would have impacted the Heat in a positive or negative way fashion but I think he still should have gotten some burn to give him some sort of a look 
to just give Denver a different defensive look or, or overall just switch things up with Miami's roster just to kind of make some things look more, I don't know, I would just say just give appealing. De- yeah, I would say appealing. Just give Denver a different look that they have to adjust to. That's really kind of the, the way that I'm trying to phrase it. But overall, when it comes to the Nuggets, you know, once again, you have to give a lot of kudos for just the success that they've had throughout the season, throughout the playoff run that they had. I wouldn't be surprised that if Denver over the next couple of years really really tries to maximize the roster that they have right now with Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray leading the way. Hopefully, uh, these guys remain relatively healthy. I know that Jamal has been dealing with injuries over the last couple of years, but he seems to be fully healthy. And honestly, I could say at this point that you know Denver's legit. Denver's going to be a team that's going to hang around for the next couple of years. Obviously, teams in the Western Conference are going to have to make adjustments to them. And the Nuggets are going to have a target on their back going into next year. They're always going to be that team that people are going to be hunting for just because they are the NBA champions and teams are going to want to knock them off with whatever chance that they have. But once again, congratulations to the Nuggets for winning their first NBA championship. And we'll see where they go from here. I mean, I watched a lot of those games, except for I think game four, I had some things going on and I just, I wasn't able to like actually sit down and watch the game. I was keeping up on my phone, but anyway, the the series as a whole, right? From game one, all the way to game five, like Kyle said, outside of game two, where Miami really came out and punched them in the mouth where they went on that final run to close in the fourth quarter and took game two from them in Denver. The Nuggets kind of found a way to really take control of this series in a multitude of different ways. We already talked about earlier in the series how Denver outmatched them via size. Then we talked about how Denver had outmatched them via the pick and roll with Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. Miami countered that with the the, the zone that they had played defensively, but Denver continued to find a way to bring Nikola to the top of the key, excuse me, to the uh, to the middle of the key and distribute with his incredible passing abilities. I mean, you would kind of have Nikola uh, flare up from the bottom of the uh, bottom of the paint, come up to the free throw line, you dish inside, someone back door, someone sets a pin down, and before you know it, you got an easy layup or an open three because, I mean, again, Nikola Jokic demands a double team in most cases, and whenever he did not have a double team, he would back whoever it was down, throw up a little floater, get to the free throw line, whatever the case may be. But it almost looked like Miami was outmatched and outcoached by Mike Malone because they did everything that Miami could not do. They hit timely shots. They were able to go on significant runs. They responded to when they had adversity. When Miami would go on their 8-10-0 to runs, Denver would respond not only with a run of their own, but then amp up the intensity on the defensive side to where they would force some turnovers, some bad shots. And Miami just wasn't able to really hit a lot of those shots that helped them get to this point in the NBA Finals, or should I say in the playoffs in general. They were very cold from the field. They missed a couple of free throws, not as many as Denver in Game 5 alone, but they weren't able to do the things that they have been doing all postseason. Jimmy Butler was erratic from a consistency standpoint. He wasn't really putting up those numbers he had put up in rounds one and two, let alone in round three. Um, Bam Adebayo had to really carry the team offensively. Gabe Vincent was in and out. Caleb Martin was not what he was in the um, in the Eastern Conference Finals. So they were really looking for that, that superstar to step up outside of Bam Adebayo, who played absolutely incredible. I agree with, Ty- with Tyler, with Kyle completely. Yes, Tyler Hero should have gotten some burn, especially when Miami was down. Yes, they made it competitive in that fourth quarter, but getting him some burn, Denver was missing a lot of shots. Denver was missing free throws. 
I understand the concept of him being a defensive liability because of his size and his overall defensive presence, but you got to find a way to get him in some form of rhythm because you were not able to knock down consistent shots. He could have potentially given you a spark. Um, yes, he maybe not. He maybe would not have been in game shape as everybody else would have been in game five of the NBA finals, but you were running out of options because people were just not hitting the shots that they normally did. Maybe you give him five minutes here, five minutes there, maybe 10. I don't know. I'm not an NBA coach, but I'm just saying of how Miami could have potentially taken advantage of Denver's miscues. Maybe inserting Tyler Hero could have given you something because what you had on the floor was not producing. Jimmy Butler was absolutely horrible until the final five, four, four or five minutes in that fourth. Um, Bam was really trying to put up whatever he could, not only on the defensive side, but offensively. Kyle Lowry was doing his best to keep them in the game, but it just was not enough. Max Struess, I mean, he had probably one of the worst finals performances I've ever seen throughout his series. Uh, he had multiple games where he was like, he had no made field goals and he just could not get it going. But I mean, the Miami Heat fought, right? They had an incredible run. Shout out to Denver again for winning, but I know that Miami gave them fits. Denver may have won the game in the final score of the box score, but there were instances to where Miami showed that they are a championship caliber type of team, a great coach, and obviously a, a supporting roster that just was able to get it done despite injuries and the, the notion that they should not be there. So the finals may not have been the most exhilarating. They may not have been the Cavaliers and Warriors of five years ago. But again, for the fact that it was two teams nobody expected, or should I say the majority of people didn't expect because people just did not believe in Denver. And the fact that it ended up being competitive each and every game outside of maybe one game, I think that the finals did the best that they possibly could. I think both teams played exceptionally well. And it was entertaining for me. I didn't care who won. I would have loved for Jimmy to hoist a trophy. But again, I have no animosity towards either team. So Nicola getting one, Jamal getting one, the veterans like Ishmith, uh, Jeff Green, uh, DeAndre Jordan getting one. I mean, good for them. I mean, DeAndre didn't really do much. But again, for the sake of the conversation, uh, again, congratulations to the Denver Nuggets. It was a short series, but at least it was something to watch and something entertaining for me personally. Yeah, it's just I think when it comes to both of these teams, you know, obviously I think that Denver had the advantage in this series going yeah. into it. And I think we both had picked Denver to win this series, whether it was, mm -hmm. I think, five or six games. I think that was the consensus that you and I had. It's just, you know, Denver had been the more consistent team throughout the year. And even though that Miami throughout the regular season had relatively struggled, I mean, they barely made it into the playing tournament. And then they just rode this wave of momentum throughout their playoff run. The fact that they were within shooting distance of potentially winning an NBA Finals based on what they were throughout the regular season. You really have to give a lot of kudos to the team as a whole. And I think Eric Spolstra. I think Eric Spolstra really maximized uh, the potential of this current Heat roster. And you really have to give him a lot of respect for that because I think if you were to put other coaches in the situation that he was in with this roster, with how it was constructed... I don't know if Miami really gets past the second round in the Eastern Conference Finals after they had upset the Milwaukee Bucks in the first round of the playoffs. So I wouldn't be surprised if Miami makes some moves to try to bolster this roster just because this was the best that you could get from this roster. You know, you got to the NBA Finals. I mean, that, that's a huge accomplishment to this team. But I think they could use some better overall defenders they could potentially try to pursue somebody like Damian Lillard, who is somebody that we will talk about in a few minutes. But overall, I wouldn't say that Miami is going to have this one and done where they get to the NBA Finals 
and we're never going to hear from them again. I mean, when you look over the last three or four finals, they have made two of them. So you got Jimmy Butler leading the way. Obviously, I would say that his finals performance was a relatively disappointing one. I wouldn't be surprised if he uses that as motivation going into next year. But, you know, it just Denver was just too strong offensively, defensively. And the fact that they won game five under the circumstances that they, that they did, shooting horrendously behind the three-point line, they were able to effectively hold Miami to under 40 points in the second half when Miami, I think, was leading in that game going into halftime. So, you know, Denver was able to just scrap one out in game five and end up winning a championship because of it. So, obviously, you know, Denver's going to be around for the next couple of years. Nikola Jokic is probably the best player in the league. And we'll just kind of see where Denver goes from here. But they're, they are going to have a target on their back just because NBA champions, everybody's going to try to knock them down going into next year. So, it'll be very interesting to see how both teams adjust from this past finals experience and use it going into next year. But with that said, we are going to transition to somebody that I just mentioned a couple minutes ago, and that is one Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard has been a lifelong trailblazer since the beginning of his NBA career, but there are rumors circulating that some teams are looking at potentially bringing on Damian Lillard if he becomes available. One team that has been interested in Damian Lillard's status going into this offseason has been the Miami Heat. And just talking about the Miami Heat, they made the NBA Finals this past year. They had a lot of undrafted free agents that were able to come into this roster and play effectively for the Miami Heat, but ended up falling short going into the NBA Finals against the Denver Nuggets. So Miami could be in a situation where they could be looking to bolster their roster and potentially bring on someone like Damian Lillard to really add some superstar depth to this team. But nonetheless, Damian Lillard, when it comes to his status, he's still one of the most sought out players in the NBA. And it's going to be very interesting to see what his status is going to be going into this offseason because it could actually be that he has played his last game with the Portland Trailblazers. But time will tell in that regard. So, Kev, to kick this one to you, what do you think is going to happen to Damian Lillard this offseason just with the reports and rumors of him potentially have played his last game as a Portland Trailblazer? Well, I mean, obviously, Miami's coming off of a finals loss. They have a couple of free agents pending this offseason. Obviously, everybody's think linking the trade to potentially be somewhat of Duncan Robinson, Kyle Lowry, and some first-round picks. Some people even have Tyler Hero being put in that situation. Uh, Miami would like to keep Tyler Hero out of this trade because they're going to maybe leverage him in another trade to get more pieces around Dame. But I actually just read something while Kyle was talking about the finals on his segment with Denver. And supposedly, the the New Orleans Pelicans are targeting to maybe work with the, the Trailblazers for that number three overall pick. And they would prefer Zion over Brandon Ingram to pair up Dame and Zion on the pick and roll, pick and roll handoffs, and obviously Zion's ability to just be a force down low. That changes a lot of things here because... If they find a way to get a superstar like Zion and he stays healthy because we all know that Zion's biggest issue is overweight, the foot, the heat, whatever the issue may be, the hamstring, that would be a, a nice one-two punch. Now, if that does not happen, then, of course, Damian Lillard to Miami makes a whole lot of sense. I'm not saying that he still can't get traded to Miami despite them getting Zion. Maybe he might get frustrated but for, uh, for the front office trading for an injury-prone young superstar, but There's just so many options 
in the offseason. And obviously, the NBA trade deadline and the NBA offseason is just like free agency. It's an, it's an incredible time because there's just names flying around, rumors circulating, contracts being negotiated, similar to what happened a few years ago with the Mavs and DeAndre Jordan. You may get a verbal commitment, but that doesn't mean anything because until you sat on the dotted line, you're not on that team yet. So Dame could be in a number of different places. I've seen links to Zion getting traded. I've seen links to um, some other NBA players. Like They wanted Bradley Beal to go over there, but that never happened, obviously, with him being in Phoenix now. But there's just so much being worked around. It's just a matter of what is going to be the best fit and what does Dame want to do. Again, Bradley Beal is the only player in the NBA that had a no-trade clause in his contract, so technically Dame doesn't necessarily have a say. But he has stated multiple times he wants to be in Portland. He wants to continue to build. And if Portland were to go away from that in sense of a rebuild, then he is no longer going to be interested and obviously have to reevaluate his services as to where he's going to play basketball. But with them, and by them I mean Portland, being willing to leverage that third overall pick and acquire some talent, if it's not a superstar, I don't know what's going to happen. And right now, if Zion is the only one available at that superstar level, and I use air quotes very lightly because we all know when he's healthy, he's giving you 26 and 9, 26 and 10 at 60% from the field. The issue is the health. We do not need another injury-prone superstar paired up with Damian Lillard because CJ McCollum had a multitude of stints where he was hurt and he could not stay healthy. Yes, Zion is a different caliber of a player him playing the power forward position him being physical cj's known for his his finesse his handle his jump shot but dame's already done that dame's already been the person to carry the team dame's already been the person that stays loyal for 11 12 seasons now it's to the point where is dame going to leave we've been talking about this for a number of years since they went to the western conference finals against the warriors a few seasons ago on whether or not he's going to stay and he's continued to double down, triple down on it with the contract extension he received last season. I want to stay in Portland. I want to bring a championship. The front office is doing their best. Anthony Simons has been up for trade. Obviously, Jurkic has been up for trade. There has been discussions and debates with the third round, uh, the third overall pick this year. So they're trying to work. It always comes down to the market. Is Portland a place somebody wants to play? Is Portland somewhere where somebody wants to, you know, call home? It's not a big market. It's not a popular city. It's not somewhere that people are going to be, you know, excited to be like a New York, a Dallas, a Los Angeles. So like the market itself isn't something that's that necessarily appealing. But with all of these players that are rumored to be out there available, I mean, the, the, the possibilities are endless. Now, Dame in Miami makes sense because you team up Dame's ability to extend the floor with his three-point shot. Ball handling, court vision, and experience alongside Jimmy Butler, who isn't the greatest shooter, but has gone on runs, as we saw this postseason, where he can carry the load with Bam Adebayo. That is a really good big three. I'm not going to go out there and say that that's going to be the, the best super team available when you have teams like Phoenix out there, but that is a solid Eastern Conference team to compete with Milwaukee, to compete with Boston if they, were, if they keep that core together for the foreseeable future. Now, Dame is in his 30s. Dame has a lot of miles on him. He's had his own fair share of injuries, but he will not have to shoulder a franchise on his shoulders if Jimmy and Bam are there with a good list of role players. Now, you also have the veteran head coach that is Eric Spolstra, and you also have the CEO, CEO or director of operations, whatever Pat Riley is, to go and convince Dame, like, hey, we have a culture. You see what we were able to do with less. If you come here, who's to say the, the sky isn't the limit? It's just, it always comes down to what Dame wants to do. He's going to have a big contract hit soon, whether it's this year or next year. 
I don't know if Miami can afford it. They would have to unload a whole lot of pieces. And I know that, you know, Jimmy Butler and, and those boys need some help when they struggle from the offensive side. If Dame was in this series alongside Jimmy, I don't know if they would have struggled as much as they did. But you can play what if all day. It's a very dangerous game to go about. Dame is going to be the most sought after free agent in this free agency class that is currently available. Kyrie, LeBron, and all these other players that are like rumored. It, Dame is the one that everyone's locked in on because that is going to be a trade wherever he goes. It's going to be a contender, and wherever he goes, he's going to add incredible value to that team. So only time will tell, like we said in the last segment, but again, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of see, play it by ear. I'm excited. If he goes to Miami, I think they're going to go absolutely insane, maybe even have another finals berth, but only time will tell, so we won't, we won't, uh, we won't get excited prematurely. It was funny, as you were going through your Dame analysis, I was on Twitter, and I had saw a report from the NBA Central page on Twitter. And Shams was apparently on the Pat McAfee show. And he was reporting that Dane wants to stay in Portland. <laughs> that he wants to build the team and try to make it a better roster in Portland. Now, it's a little bit different based off of this report that I just saw. So honestly, I, I want to ask you another question. Do you see a potential scenario where the Blazers front office would actually move on from Dane if they got the right trade package for him. And even though that Dame had shown incredible loyalty to Portland, would they actually go behind his back to be able to make a trade for him if they got the right package for him in return? Do you think that's something that could happen or do you think they're just going to ride this thing out to the wheels fall off? I mean, it's a business, right? We always talk about that in sports. Everybody talks about, oh, you stabbed them in the back and this, that, and the third. But uh, anybody is going to get a, a, a haul, multiple first-round picks, superstars, uh, talented young and up-and-coming players. I don't see a GM saying no. They didn't make the playoffs this past year. They shut Dame down for the last 10, 15 games of the season. You don't have CJ McCollum. Anthony Simons didn't produce the way that we all thought he would. The Western Conference continues to get loaded and stacked. I mean, again, look at Phoenix. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, you're, you're literally working that third overall pick to get something in return for it. And if you get the right offer, like not similar to a Paul George deal, but something in the ballpark of multiple players and future picks, like maybe four or five picks, I would pull the trigger. I mean, his cap hit's going to be over $50 million at one point. You can't build around somebody when you're tied down financially to one person. It's going to be tough. So I think if you're Portland, despite you wanting to build a championship team, with Dame eating up a quarter of your cap alone, if you have an opportunity to move on, build a young team, I wouldn't say full rebuild, but to contend around a different player or, or, or set of players, I'd probably do it. I'm not insulting Dame. I'm not saying that his loyalty shouldn't be rewarded, but... We all know how this goes. Dollar signs talk and Rosota results. And if, unfortunately, Dame hasn't been able to provide a, a discount because his contract extensions continue to rise and rise and rise with the market and you're not producing any results, playoff berths, championships, Western Conference championships, I'm sorry, as much as I love you, as much as you are talented and you've revitalized this, this organization, I got to do what's best for the team. And I got to, you know, if I'm the GM and I get a good enough package, I'm, I'm going to let him go. Well, I think a part of me is looking at this with Dame's age. Dame is going to turn 33 this summer. On my he birthday. Turns, turns 33 on July 15th. And when it comes to Dame, everybody knows that he could still play at a very high effective level. Absolutely. However, 
how long can he be able to maintain this for? You know, when you start getting into your mid-30s, you're on the back nine of your career. Now, granted, we could look at somebody like Steph. Steph. (laughs) Well, yeah, we could look at Steph in his mid-30s, and he's still out there crushing it. But the thing with Steph compared to Dame is that Steph is consistently getting his team with the Warriors, at least in an NBA Finals predicament, or just a playoff berth. Deep you know, obviously, yeah. yeah, they're making consistent playoff runs year in and year out in Golden State. They're not doing that in Portland. Now, obviously, you could look to the fact that Portland hasn't really built a well-rounded roster to be able to pair along with Damian Lillard, and that's probably been a huge part in why they haven't had the playoff success compared to somebody like Steph and Golden State. But I think Portland's front office could be in a situation where it's like, look, maybe it's time to move on. Maybe if we pursue some sort of trade package, we could still get high value for him. Because when it comes to Dame, if he were to take any sort of step back at his overall play, teams are not going to be as willing to give up a lot in return for someone like Damian Lillard. And I think this is one of those scenarios where you could even look back to what happened in Russell Westbrook with OKC. Had Russell Westbrook stayed in OKC for a couple more years, would he have been traded and would have would OKC have gotten a really good trade package in return from him compared to when they actually made that trade for him? Because that's something that I think that we ha- kind of have to look with Dame here. Dame could be somebody that their front office could see as, well, we know that he can still play at a high level. We know that he still has a lot of value on the table. We use that value and we get something to make a trade deal happen where we get a decent haul back and we start the rebuild. Now, honestly, you could kind of say that they've been kind of in a semi-rebuild just because they haven't really made the, the playoffs consistently and last year was not really a year that they could look back on too proudly. But I think when it comes to how Portland's going to manage this. I wouldn't be surprised if they look at it somewhat similar to what OKC did with Russell Westbrook. I think there could be a situation where they decide to move on from him rather early, knowing that he could still play at a high level. They keep him for too long. And if there were some sort of trade talks developing between Portland and some other suitor, I don't know. Maybe this is a situation where they could get a lot of value for him now if they were to pursue that trade now compared to two years down the road. That's how I kind of look at this Portland situation with Dane. If Dane wants to ride this thing to the wheels fall off, I I give him points for loyalty. That's for sure. But it's not going to end in an NBA championship. It's just not going to happen. I just don't think that Portland is a market where they can bring enough talent into the fold to be able to make this happen. I think that they could go up. I think they could potentially make another playoff run. But an NBA Finals run, I just don't see that happening. I just think the Western Conference is too strong. And I think Portland is in a situation where they'd have to really make a huge uphill climb to really be competitive in the West. And I just don't see that with how this roster is constructed right now. So Not at all. If they find a way, right, hypothetically, final point, if Anthony Simons ends up getting traded, you get a couple of solid role players, not incredible role players, but something solid, like one or two pieces. You go and you get that third overall pick, send it on over to New Orleans. Zion Williamson magically revitalizes his career. He actually stays in shape. He's like, you know what? I got a superstar next to me, even though he has one in Brandon Ingram. But maybe, you know, 
supposedly the rumors came out over the weekend or earlier before the weekend. He's got no relationship with the front office, hardly any relationship with his teammates, has no interest in staying in New Orleans, and he basically wants out. Fine. I knew, you knew he was never going to stay in New Orleans when he made that comment to the media about, like, I love playing in New York City, uh, 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 but I love playing in New Orleans. Of course, the Pepsi Center, whatever that arena is called, like, that's, that's uh, the... the it's, it's the Smoothie King Center. Smoothie King Arena, whatever it is. Like, that, it's my favorite place to play. We all knew that that was a crock of shit. Like, there's, there's nothing in New Orleans. If, again, if Zion gets there, they get some pieces for Simons, maybe find a way to sign some free agents... I think, like Kyle said, they could potentially make a run. A finals run? I don't know, but that'll be the most help that Dame has had probably in his career other than the early days with LaMarcus Aldridge and Wesley Matthews and things like that. But again, we'd have no idea what's going to happen, let alone banking on the health of Zion Williamson is probably more rare than winning the lotto at this point. Yes, it sounds messed up, but the guys played like a total of like 118 games in like five years. I'm not I'm not banking anything on that man staying healthy. So Portland's got a lot of decisions to make. If Dame is doubling down based on what Sham said, again, I don't want to hear. We say this every offseason to him and Bradley Beal, but now Bradley has moved on. I don't want to hear this is getting frustrating. I'm tired of losing. You want to win? Go get out. Don't complain when you're asking for $55, $60 million a season to play on a team that you know isn't going to go anywhere in a conference to where you have a multitude of future Hall of Famers, all-stars, incredible caliber types of players. You want to win, go somewhere, team up with somebody, get somebody over with you, or just shut up. I've had about enough of these superstars, and I love Damian Lillard, but he's one of the guilty parties here that always says, I'm frustrated, the front office needs to do something, or we're always competing, but we're competing for a play-in spot or an eighth seed. It's never anything that's of significant value. What do you want? You can't win when you hog up the cap. I, I don't understand. They're like, they're like hypocrites at this point. They're like, I want to win, but I also want to be paid the highest in the league. Like, you can't have both. You need to have flexibility. And when they're tied to you, that makes it difficult because you have to build a team around it, and I, they can't do that. So that's my only say on Portland. We'll see what happens. I'd be excited if Dame were to move to Miami, but if he were to go somewhere else, I wouldn't be surprised. Fair enough. So yeah, I'm going to give you this one because okay. I know that this we were texting briefly while you had service out there on vacation. But listen, <laughs> John Morant in the media again, but this time for the hammer that was provided by Adam Silver. I've been using air quotes a lot today. I don't really know why. It's kind of my thing recently. I've been doing it in meetings. Oh, with the, anyway, that, that was appropriate, though. I'll give you that one. You know, but it's uh, John Morant's suspension has come down with 25 games. The estimation is he would be eliminated from $50 million of potential earnings this year. He would be also eliminated from contention of any major awards, uh, you know, MVP, uh, first team all pro, because now the NBA has implemented a minimum category to enter these uh, awards to be in the, the con- to be in contention for awards. I think you have to play a minimum of 65 games or something like that. I'd have to look it up, but I think I think it's over 60. So with him missing 25 out of 82, to immediately takes him out of the running. So John Moran's suffering financially and from an award standpoint. But, alas, it's not enough for us. Definitely not enough for me, and I know it's not enough for Kyle. So Kyle, your thoughts on Adam Silver uh, being aggressive in his suspension with John Moran? Yeah, aggressive. Aggressive is, I guess, the best way to put it, huh? No, I, when it comes to the John Moran situation, I think the 25-game suspension that he got was just too light. 
I think when we look back at the situation with John Morant, this was not the first time that he had been involved with some sort of situation involving some sort of firearm. There, there had been multiple instances where he had been seen on camera, on Instagram Live, flexing a gun. He did it in a nightclub in Denver a couple months back. And then he had the situation on Instagram Live once again, where it looked like he was wielding another gun in the passenger seat. Or actually, it wasn't in the passenger seat. It was actually in the driver's seat of that car. And I don't really want to hear that, oh, it was a toy gun that he was just playing around. I'm like, look, dude, just the fact of the matter is when you have an optic like that where you're just flashing some sort of what looks to be a firearm and that you had a similar type of situation happen to you a couple months prior, hell, not even a couple months prior, probably just a couple weeks prior, that's not a good look. When it comes to how the NBA handled this situation, to me, they dragged this thing out way too long. The fact that they waited for the NBA Finals to finish up when they could have handled this situation well before the Finals had started, I think is a bad look on them. With the way that the media goes through stories day in and day out, the NBA could have handed down that John Moran suspension before the NBA Finals. And then by the time that the NBA Finals had started, everybody would have completely forgot and moved on from the John Morant suspension had they done it then. But they basically dragged this thing out and they're going to basically say, oh, well, we were investigating this properly. I, I don't really buy that whatsoever. I think that's BS as far as I see it. And when it comes to the actual suspension, it is way too light. A 25-game suspension for the second time that John Morant has done something similar in regards to wielding some sort of firearm, I don't find that acceptable. And I think to me, at the bare minimum, was half of the season. The NBA season is 82 games long. 41 games would have been, at the bare minimum for me, appropriate. Kevin and I have been talking about the situation with Ja as it was happening a couple weeks back, and we were of the mindset that the NBA should be considering a full season suspension for Ja. Not just half of the season, but the entire season, because you had a repeat offense within a relatively short period of time compared to when the first one happened in Denver. So to me, John Morant got, in, I think in both cases, a slap on the wrist. He barely got any sort of suspension in the first time around uh, when this a situation like this had happened. And then only 25 games in this one. I think the NBA really screwed this one up here. And I think just from an optic perspective, you know, they tried to play it off as, oh, you know, Jaw is going to be, held responsible. He, he's going to be held accountable for his actions. Then Jaws PR team put out a statement basically saying that I've let everybody down with my view as a potential role model to all of these kids who potentially look up to him. First of all, I don't think really anybody looks up to John Morant like that. Everybody kind of looks at him right now as a clown. And I think it's well-deserved just because he literally has the world at his fingertips. The guy's making tens of millions of dollars every single year He's essentially living what most of us would consider a dream by any sort of standard of living. And he's essentially throwing it away by essentially giving off gunshit type vibes. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to see that. John Morant has the potential to be somebody of a, a major influence within the NBA. And he's doing everything to basically erode that at any chance that he's presented with. So to me, Jaw honestly just has to grow up. It's honestly that simple. And w when I look at John Morant compared to somebody like you know, Nikola Jokic, obviously I know Jokic is a little bit older, but you just you look at the persona that they give off. Jokic is somebody that is 
very down to earth. You could look at somebody like Giannis or somebody like Embiid, where even though these guys are international players, at least the professional is exuded from them. Ja doesn't really exude any sort of professionalism whatsoever. And I wouldn't be surprised that over the next couple of years, that Jaw's behavior becomes a consistent theme where he's always involved in the headlines for the wrong reason. Now, hopefully he could be able to learn from these mistakes that he's made over the last couple of months and, you know, find some sort of positive pathway forward here. But when it comes to Jaw, Jaw is essentially screwing his NBA life up by making these repeated mistakes. And I don't think the NBA is really doing any favors for him by essentially giving these light suspensions. At some point, they're going to have to hand down a pretty heavy suspension against one of these players if they continue to do this time and time again. But I don't think the NBA is going to do it because I think the NBA is going to be too impacted by the financial ramifications if they suspend somebody for too long in Jaws' case. And I think that's really kind of the game that's being played here. They're doing it to basically say, well, we did our part to a certain extent, but we don't want to screw it up too much where our bottom line gets affected. And that's not the way to look at it. To me, that you're sacrificing the principle of what you should be handing a pretty lengthy suspension for somebody that is essentially giving off these gun type of vibes. And they're not really suffering any sort of major consequences for it. I, I don't think that that's acceptable. And I think moving forward, I would expect that the NBA is going to be relatively light when it comes to situations like this involving John Morant, or if it's another player in the foreseeable future, because this will happen again, that the player may be different, but situations like this are going to arise once again. Now that the NBA is just basically sitting back and I think they're just going to hand out slaps on the wrist. I don't really expect the NBA to do anything significant because I think their bottom line is going to be too affected by it. If they were to suspend somebody too long or face potential backlash, if they overextend their hand and suspend somebody too heavily based on the situation at, at hand here. But overall, I think the NBA screwed up this situation with John Moran's suspension. And I don't really foresee any sort of major changes from the NBA in regards to situations like this that Jaha had gotten into in the foreseeable future. I mean, yeah, you don't even need to single screen it. Um, I agree with everything that you said. Uh, this is a prime example of the NBA, truthfully and honestly, being business first. We talked about it being a business when it comes to the Damian Lillard potential trade or lack thereof a trade, but this isn't his first mistake, his second mistake, or even his third mistake when it comes to issues that he had just last year alone. Second incident, lack of remorse, lack of caring. I mean, he was free-willed and not, you know, like he didn't look like he was like, he tried to hide the gun. The video started the second one of the second incident with him driving and hanging. And then like 15 seconds later, he went about, his business to find the gun and get it in. The, if he would have had it in his hand and be like, yo, I'm recording and then tried to hide it, you know, like I, some sign, he didn't care. Mm -hmm. He willingly took it out while the video was going and had no, when you have people like that, that have a disregard for authority, rules and regulation, those are the ones that need to be punished the most, not to set an example, but to just, to, to just set the tone and say, listen, you, you have to set a precedent. Exactly. You've been scrutinized for months now. You made a big enough mistake to where you had to be suspended in the middle of a playoff run or like, you know, in the middle of a, a, a regular season run towards the playoffs. You're a distraction to the team. And you didn't just 
you know, you weren't caught cheating on your spouse or, you know, like intoxicated or something. No, you had a gun and you were intoxicated the first time. Now, the second time you're driving, it's daylight, your boy's on IG Live and you do it again. To me, this was a botch of a suspension. Yes, he's financially suffering for it and all these other things that are coming about it and stipulations to it of probably having to check in, stay away from social media, all the things that are probably behind the scenes that we don't know about. But 25 games, quarter of the season, in reality, you were suspended for eight games, but you only served two. A total of 27 games for a, for a lot of actual mistakes. Realistically, it's not enough. I don't believe that it'll ever be enough. And to what Kyle's point, this is just showing that the NBA will prioritize their income as opposed to setting a precedent, as Kyle stated earlier, to make a message to say, you guys cannot do this. This is unacceptable in the NBA. That's all I'm going to say on it. The fact that it came down the way that it did. I mean, Adam Silver made a whole point right before the NBA draft. There's been extra, there's been uh, other circumstances. We're looking into this. This is going to be a severe investigation. I spoke with Joe. He made it seem like this was going to be like a massive, like throw another book at him. Like, yo, you're suspended like the season or something. I knew it wasn't going to be that, but I thought it was going to be more than 25. And for it to end up coming out right after the NBA finals and all you get is 25, it's a joke. Yeah. It's, it's an absolute joke. It reflects on the leadership of Adam Silver, the type of league he wants to run. Here, I'm going to suspend you and punish you for a little bit, but then you can still play the majority of the season. I don't think that that's going to set any precedent whatsoever, but again, that's neither here nor there. I don't run the league. I'm not a multimillionaire. And if I was, sure as hell wouldn't be making these kinds of mistakes. Just overall, I just thought it was a bad look. Just optically in the actual suspension. Across yeah. the board. And John Morant said today, I just read on Twitter again, because this is where we get all of our sources from Shams and, and Woj and all that. Him and his can't believe that the NBA and the media are after him. Well, I mean, what happens when you put yourself in situations where they go after you? I mean, I, listen, we always talk about how sensitive society is. If they were making things up or if they were just constantly paparazzi around you making stories up of blowing situations out of proportion, maybe you can say something like that. But when you're constantly in the media for negative representation of your team and yourself, what do you expect? Of course they're going to be on you 10 times more because you keep making mistakes, so they're, you're bound to make another one in their eyes. Why would the media not want to be on top of you for every story and every inch of your life of what you've done? You don't see them bothering people like Steph Curry? He don't do nothing. You've made mistakes, you've had issues, you've broken the rules of the NBA a multitude of times just this year. They're not after you, they're monitoring you because you're bound to make another damn mistake. Wake up and realize this has nothing to do with anything other than you being a moron, period. <laughs> this isn't a vendetta, this isn't a, well, you know, like, he slept with my daughter, or like, you know, like, he, he was caught outside, like, doing massive amounts of drugs. No, you were in the media for the wrong reasons. So if the media is going to pay attention to you a lot more than they would other players. Deal with it. That's the, that's the, what's the word I'm looking for? That is the, the aura that you carry. Like I'm trying to say, that's the, that's the message that you are bringing to the, to the media, that you're just a walking screw up. And I don't blame them. I would be on top of him like White on Rice if I knew that he was going to bring me another breaking story. Were you looking for perception? Yes. That's the one. And I pointed it here, but the camera's here. So, but yes perception you're bringing the perception the notion that you're going to continue to screw up so 
That's everything on Jaw. I really don't have much else to say. I'm not going to give him any more of my attention. We'll see what happens as the offseason progresses, um, if anything else comes of it. But there's just a lot of stuff going on in the NBA, which is good for content-wise. But we will uh, continue to keep you guys updated because NBA free agency starts relatively quick. The draft, I believe, is on Wednesday or Thursday. It's the 22nd or the 23rd. So a whole lot of stuff's probably going to happen. The draft, I think it's Thursday because the rumor that I read about Zion said specifically, I don't know if it was an executive or somebody that works in the Pelicans organization that stated Zion is probably going to be moved before Thursday. Very interesting. Yeah, so I would assume that's got to be the draft day. So we'll see what happens with that. Again, there's plenty of stuff to go around right now, but we'll play it by ear. Yeah, honestly, Kev, that pretty much wraps it up for us. Unless you have anything else on your mind you wanted to discuss, we could pretty much just call it here, but... Yeah, no, that's everything I got. Guys, we were away for a long time. We do apologize between vacation and personal matters. We needed to just kind of separate ourselves. It's also summertime, so family's important at this point in time. Uh, But we're back in the booth. Kyle's here. I'm here. We're good to go. We'll talk to you guys again soon. That's everything I have. We appreciate the support, and uh, we'll be posting again as consistently as possible as we were right before. So thank you guys for staying with us. We appreciate it. Yeah, once again, thank you guys for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you guys later this week potentially. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed.